0: Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you have a great day and a great um, week ahead. Um... Today we're going to do something special, but before we do that, I just want to say that I heard that there was an earthquake in Gujarat, Rajasthan, Delhi and Afghanistan along that fault line, Um, 3.5 I think on the Richter scale. Look, I as far as I know, there's no damage as such, but there could be. So I hope that everyone is safe. And I'm, I'm praying for all of you, sending you all my energy. And I hope that there is no aftershocks as much as we've seen in Turkey. But uh, importantly, more importantly, it is important to be safe. Uh, people are safe, houses are safe, and the animals are safe. So if everyone is safe, and if you know anyone who's hurt... Uh, you know, um, don't be uh, shy to, uh, you know, assist uh, in this time of need uh, because this is difficult. We've just gone through the Turkey earthquakes and this is, you know, this was uh, projected, so, so to speak. They said it's going to have a big earthquake in India, in the India zone, North India zone, because we're sitting on a massive fault line, uh, seismic zone. Um, So look, this is one of them. Maybe there's more coming. Hopefully there's none. But we'll see in the meanwhile. Please stay safe, everyone, because it's very important. So today we're going to do something on the Bengal famine of 1943-44. Understanding the Bengal famine. So I was just uh, going to the internet uh, for something, and I don't know what it was. And I fell upon this site talking about the Churchill uh, project, talking about the in, in the Bengal famine. And there was an Indian origin guy over there who wrote an article. And of course the article was, oh, because of the, the Bengal famine happened because of the Hindu caste and the Hindu religion and the Hindu this uh, and the caste and religion and class. And that's why they caused the problems with the Muslims and the Muslims uh, ha- um, uh, was polarization of the Muslims of course, this guy, this Indian origin guy was staying in the United Kingdom. So he was brainwashed by one of the universities and, you know, thinks it's very fancy to uh, degrade India uh, on the outside, which a lot of people do, uh, but with no basis. And if you want to look at something, you look at all 360, 360 degrees. And so it was really, I was angry about this. And I said, oh my God. So I just went and did some quick research Um and and yes so we're going to do a little bit of of the bengal fam not uh not every single uh aspect of it but yes um because it's too long to go through uh, but just the gist of it so i found a nice uh, update on uh, a, a um an article written uh many articles written and many articles written, but the best was written by someone called Chowdhury Arunadati, Understanding of the Bengal Famine in 1943. Um, and we'll go to that quickly. Um, so basically, in the Bengal Famine, um, it was approximately 4 million lives that were lost during that famine. It was a man-made disaster. Um, and it was really, really bad. Now, this was the first layer of disaster because there's always layers and layers and layers, aftershocks, as we say, second generation, third generation, and yes, my dear friends, uh, probably the first generation, the first um, layer of debts were about around 4 million and then you would have had second generation effects and poverty never left this land uh, and it took a while to get back, uh, loss of life, trauma, that they went through, it was difficult. Um, So, in uh, 1942-43, a series of events led by, deliberately pursued by British macroeconomic policies and the sacrifice of many uh, thousands of men and women and children who died and were denied food uh, for for someone else's benefit. Um, So, there are bengal is a land that there have been famines before um in 19, in 1717 1866 17, but unlike in the 1943 famine these were uh, the previous ones were outcomes of natural disasters aggravated aggravated by human greed and foolishness but in 1943 44 the famine stands out because it was a man made aggravated disaster um and the architect of that was uh, Winston Churchill, the hero of the Second World War. Um, so, just a backdrop quickly: the Bengal area covers eighty-two square, eighty-two thousand square miles, and population of sixty-three million uh, was the largest uh, block in colonial India, British Raj. Um, population density stood at around seven hundred and uh, thirty thirty eight million hectares, uh, acres of land out of the total area is was cultivable um and uh, each land each person got about 0.5 uh, acres to himself to draw substance form um there was a small increase in population, about 10% from 1921 to 1941. Uh, but in the area where there was uh, agriculture, was only 1.5. Um, while there had been a 20% increase in population between an 30, 1931 and 1941, uh, they had, in general, Bengal, there had practically been no rise in the uh Agri um agriculture areas, um, population pressure also was one of the primary causes of Bengal economic troubles. Um, rice is the most important crop crop in the province. Uh, Bengal's normal production was around four eighty one million moths, uh, mounds m a u n d s of paddy per year. Um, So approximately nine mounds or half a seer paddy per day. Uh, Bengal's annual requirement of paddy to feed its population was roughly 540 million mounds. Uh, Her annual deficit was approximately um 29 million mounds or 500,000 tons of paddy a year so imports came from burma which was a rice cultivating land uh to meet 200 million tons of the deficit and hence it as its figures out bengal usually ran a deficit of 300 million tons of rice while otherwise uh, which would have fed uh, 18 lakhs of her people um one of the very important characteristics of the Bengal foreman was the zamindari system of land tenure, where the rent is fixed under permanent settlement. The government is plainly under uninterested in either undertaking any productivity-enhancing schemes nor estimating annual yields because the zamindari system was in place." Um. The government therefore had no estimate of the food deficit, which is, which was chronic in Bengal. In the absence of reliable production figures, consumption figures, which might prove handy because we know the population figures. Um, what is important in at this time... Um, what is important, particularly uh, to the economy of Bengal, particularly in the interwar period, is the fact that although she is most endowed province with favorable natural climatic conditions, her agricultural productivity did not bear the signs. Um, her rice production, which is 18 mounds per acre, is pretty low compared to uh, Madras. Uh, th- those days was called Madras, and the Bengal government never had any proactive or imaginative agricultural policies to increase this uh objective. Um, the and the Permanent Settlement of seventeen seventy three served this very purpose by fixing um the revenue from the land. Okay. Um, A colonial government whose only objective was to collect revenues from this rich land and the permanent settlement of 1773 served this purpose by fixing the revenue from the land. The Zamindars, who were controlling most of the land, uh, lost direct contact with the actual uh, tiller on the ground and the two were separated by many, many middlemen, uh, leading to Infudation feud- of the land, okay, uh, that means infudalization. Infudation means um, feudal lords, the feudal system, basically. Uh, no one in the hierarchy of rent receivers now stood accountable for any measure of agricultural welfare. Very important during this time. The sub infudation had only led to a proportionate la- rise of landless laborers, which was now 29% of the agricultural population. So we have the Zamindari system. Um, We had um, a deficit in food production already, about 300,000 tons of rice. The population was already getting poorer and poorer. The Zamindari system where land, um, where rent is fixed um, they dealt with the government, the colonial government, and, uh, and below there were, between them and the tiller, there was enough space for uh, multiple middlemen who didn't care except collecting tax. So the amount of tax that was collected, the poor farmer was left with absolutely nothing. Um... So the zamindars lost contact with the with the with the people on the ground, and there was just they were just you know a feudal system where they didn't care about anything but except making money. Uh, so the indifference of these ruling classes in Bengal, from the middlemen to the tax collectors to the zamindars to the colonial um, government, the British government. Um, was was ripe, okay, infested completely. Uh, the Bengal governments uh, uh, spent a pittance on agriculture three point five crores, as compared to the government of Madras and Punjab, who spent twenty and thirty five crores on agriculture. Uh, in nineteen forty one, Japan declared war on British India. Agriculture was actually cut down from sixty nine lakhs to. 50 lakhs uh, and a budgetary allocation of four crores was provided to civil defense. Now, this is all in figures of 1940, my friend. Okay, um, the figures um, that the clear this figures drive home a point that is um, that's about the that chose greed of the British Raj in nexus with the Ruling landlord classes that wr- wrought havoc on the land, that means the zamindars and the feudal system, which was traditionally ve- been reserved for to as golden or sonar Bengal. Agriculture thus was in a very gloomy state, cottage industry was destroyed already. Um, Bengal was thriving on a very thin margin of um, where a slight push meant death, starvation, famine, um, and misery. Okay, it, it was a t- very, very delicate balance. Um, so uh, <laughs> now, when you think that the, Beng- the J- Japanese declared war on British India, especially from the east. Okay, uh, so the, the amount of people that died from Japanese bombs, 816 killed, 878 injured, okay, um, since Pearl Harbor till April 1943. Um, in Calcutta, sorry, the amount of um, people that died in Japanese bombings was eight. 16 killed, 878 injured in the Pearl Harbor uh, till April 1943. Okay. In Calcutta alone, hunger and its after effects killed, six, uh, killed between um, 9,300 9, victims from the 16th of August to the 16th of December 1943. And these, my friends, were the numbers of the people who were counted. There were thousands and thousands who were not counted. Now, Bengal is also uh, endowed with life-giving rivers. And in East Bengal, the problem is draining the water, okay, uh, that stays on the land because of the mighty Padma in the West Bengal. Uh, the problem is flushing the rivers and ridding the countryside of malaria, which is, was a big problem in this area because of the mosquitoes and the, um, uh, you know, humid climate, um, the rain, the water, uh The government did not want to build a dam on the river Damodar to manage the waters and manifested when a scheme had was shelved uh, um, tending to the interest of local coal magnets, which is normal okay uh it still goes on till today who had understood that the enormous weight of water would flood the mines of Jaria and the Jaria coal mines um Most rivers also of Bengal were now dead and turned into prosperous breeding ground for mosquitoes. Uh, The Bengal government uh, never cared about controlling the living rivers or to revive the dead rivers. One of these reasons uh, was that these rivers were fishing grounds of Bengal. Fish is the second most important dietary item of Bengal. Um, So... um, the government, the, the people obviously did not want to curb these rivers and the government uh, failed to act wisely to... Um husband and cultivate the resources. No legislation was in place to, to uh, regulate the fish uh, fishing and no government organized deep sea fishing. Health is an area of sheer government negligence. Malaria accounted for 30% of the annual mortality rate. Malaria alone claimed 500,000 lives annually. The basis of, of a dignified living Uh, food, livelihood and health had remained the most neglected areas of Bengal long before Japanese struck Pearl Harbor in December, 1941. Um, and that rippled across, uh, Bengal and the regions around, um, And Japan's attack on the Pearl Harbor and their subsequent declaration of war on British India had long macroeconomic effects, long-term effects on macroeconomic policies. So when when Japan declared its offensive on Britain and and British India. Uh, They knew, the Japanese, the Brits knew, that if the Japanese invaded, uh, it would probably be along the coast of Bengal, uh, Burma. Uh, There was inadequate installation of defence. The Japanese would be impossible to resist. Worse, they might even be welcomed by the locals because the locals were more likely to side with someone who looked like them than the British. Um... And the British knew that there was growing dissatisfaction with their governments uh, and the administration in the region, uh, so they decided on a scotched earth policy uh, announced by Churchill in November 1941 along the coastal territories of the Indian Ocean, which was the highest risk of um, of the area. Um, The ordered instructions were to destroy the industrial, military, and transport facilities in the districts to be surrendered to the progressing armies, while minimum stocks of food should be distributed to the population before withdrawal, takes place to avoid bulk supplies falling into the hands of enemy. As regards Bengal, where the winter crop had just been harvested, the policy meant removal of rice from traders and zamindar trade uh, storehouses. But this sounded death knell for the population who even in peacetime had problems to feed themselves, to have food. Because we know that Bengal had 300,000 tons of deficit of food grains every year. So, in peacetime, they had deficit, can you believe it, taking away stocks from zamindars and their traders and their, and their storehouses, destroying the military and industrial complex. Um, this was called the scotch dirt Policy. Um, and the adverse effects of the scotch dirt Policy were not unknown to the Viceroy, the Leopold, uh, Amory, and the Commander-in-Chief Archibald Leopold, Um they protested against the destruction of industrial facilities in the area. Uh, but, however, you know, they were told that it was going to go ahead. Uh, they were told it was essential that the destruction should be rootless and should achieve, without fail, total denial of such resources and that would assist enemy operations. That means they were scared that the enemy was going to take control of these resources and use them against the British. So it was total uh, scorched earth, denial of these resources to the Japanese. And this was called the denial policy. Uh, They were also removal of river craft, which the Japanese might use to advance to Bengal. Um, And so we had the denial policy in place. We had the removal of the river crafts. Um... demolition along the coastline as long as India would give handle for agitation, the rice rye wrote, and with enormous population it threatened areas any areas, any scorched earth policy will mean that it, we will have millions on our hand, which will be quite impossible to feed. So the people on the ground, the vice-voices vice on the ground, knew that this uh, would lead to agitation against the British government because they were already poor, already underfed, um, lead to enormous uh, you know, um, pressures on the administration, and it would be impossible to feed them. There were no buffer policies, there was no Plan B or Plan C, uh, and the withdrawal of men successfully complete from Burma in 1942, the government of India had not yet had a food department, even on the frontline provinces of uh, uh, Assam and Burma. The Allies had lost rich lands of Burma, which had been perennial source of rice in peacetime. So... Uh, Burma, which was giving 200, which was also under British rule, giving um, 200,000 tons of rice to to Bengal, now that was taken away, that was under J- Japanese um, rule, and the pace of the Japanese progress um, and stupendous caught the British in uh, un- unprepared, both in military and civil Areas now, so we know now. Instead of just three hundred thousand tons of deficit, we have two. We have five hundred tons of deficit of food grains because uh, Burma was taken over by the Japanese. Uh, So, with the evacuation of Rangoon in nineteen forty two March, there was no hope of rice imports from Burma, which supplied 1.5 million tonnes of rice that fed the population of Cochin, Travancore, Malabar and the industrial population of Madras and Bengal. So you can imagine the increase the inflation food prices. Um, the government held that Burmese rice imports constituted only 5% of India's total rice production and hence called forth for austerity to tide over the crisis. Um, the government at the center in Delhi um, and the Prime Minister of Great Britain were indifferent to the actual condition of the people of this area. The population of Bengal actually were actually getting by half-fed, starved, and austerity in wake of the war would plainly mean debt. For its uh, population, there was no counter policy Plan B to increase food supply from other parts, uh, or stopping exports through building up of central grain reserves. Um, So that was one of the main also areas. The Scotch dirt policy called denial policy, which denied resources to. to um the japanese there was no plan a plan b uh um we had already had bengal already had a deficit before uh before the area uh was invaded um and so these are some of the instances the preconditions of the area um now, the boats, they also, what they did in their denial policy, that means a policy to deny resources to the Japanese, uh, they, they implemented the destruction of boats, evacuation of several villages, restriction of movements of boats as they were not destroyed. Uh, this policy stood in the cultivation of vast tracts of land for boats, Are the lifeline of cultivation in this riverine in the riverine districts, where majority of the land stands underway under water all year round. The boats are the bullock carts of the waterways, transferring seed, manure. uh, harvest produce and labour they are the indispensable for they are indispensable for fishing and hence the policy actually destroyed the livelihood of thousands and the cumulative uh, effect the trickle down effect uh, could be found for the number of months in ahead and um, the British uh, Leonard Leonard George Pinnell, the Viceroy's private secretary, who was sent to Bengal to implement this denial policy, uh, said in the Inquiry Commission, um, and I quote, for anyone who knows Bengal cultivators... The policy was a complete heartbreaking job. job. He, when he was asked by the Commission if the boat policy had resulted in the killing of the economy of certain locations, Pinnell said, I do not think a consideration of that sort would have been any weight at all. He further added that the boat denial policy completely broke the economy of the fishing areas. Uh, so not only we had the boat denial policy, we had the rice denial policy uh, whereby surplus rice was purchased from denial districts to be stocked up in northern and northwestern parts of Bengal. A key element of the policy was the panic that the policy created in the minds of the cultivators to government purchasing agents. So the government agents would go and say, if you do not... um sell us the rice you will be suspended uh your rice will be conf- confiscated or if not it would be robbed through through the uh government through the japanese who would invade so it was the fear that they cultivated in in the areas where this policy was being done um, so about thirty thousand um tons of rice purchased from these districts uh, but less than three thousands of tons 3,000 tons were sent out of Bengal. The price of rice stood at five rupees a mound. Um, though the government instructed on paper that sufficient rice for consumption for the next 12 months should be left in the denial districts, actually it was very far less. Um, the rice denial policy was again a wrong decision, but it was not removed until public outrage took place. Uh, shape. Uh, so this was one of the huge problems of this area. Um, now, during this time, um, there were many countries. Uh, Australia was willing to send uh, grain to Bengal, you had Canada, US was willing to send rice to Bengal, but the British government said no, Churchill at the center said no. He said he. The only thing he said was, "I wish Mahatma Gandhi had died in the famine." Um, you may like or not like Mahatma Gandhi, uh, but yes, um, this was one of the things he said. He refused to have grain sent to Bengal. He just refused, and most of the damage was caused by him. Uh, by him refusing any sort of uh, by being for him being indifferent and not allowing any sort of help to go to Bengal uh, in the in the areas. Um, so uh, the data shows that by independence, well, by 1944, uh, the grain, the produce had, they had a good crop, so it started getting better. But... All these policies, including uh, no investment in agriculture uh, compared to the other areas, this area was a a reduction in rice producing Uh, from 1918 onwards. There was a reduction, overall food production uh, for non-food grains expanded over 10 times faster than the food grains. Um, And... Basically, the most of of this of the revenues it was only cultivated for revenues, and all of this went to the foreign coffers, the coffers of the british Raj uh, not uh, that 's beside the middlemen and the zamindars um, also decline in the per head f- uh, per head food availability combined with rising head per head, commercial crop production actually provided the channel to which a portion of the Indian tax revenues should unilaterally be transferred to Britain through a merchandise export surplus. This mechanism of unilateral transfers of revenue in the effect of the infamous drain of wealth by the colonial rulers was compounded. And compounded the uh, famine uh, of 1943 44. It was transferred, it was termed as investment and later expenditure. To be incurred abroad in 1930s, this was transferred by Britain mainly through a surplus of primary sector exports from India to the rest of the world, whose exchange proceeds were appropriated by Britain against the corresponding entry of expenditure incurred at home and or home charges, uh, known shown as a debit item in the current accounts of the Indian balance of payments. So. These expenditures uh, only were shown as a debit item, and all the surplus of the primary sector I- exports were appropriated to uh, the United Kingdom um, so this was a series of conditions um, that slowly um, that slowly bought down uh, the the area. Um, and by the time uh, this famine started, 1943-44, uh, uh, it was ripe. It was the balance was really one small push, and it tilted in the wrong way. So the area was ripe for famine. The conditions were created by man for the famine uh, pre 1943-44, and when 43-44 came, it was just the tip of the barrel, and you know one tip, and it was over. Um, also, the entire war. Um, financing of South Asian theatre officially came upon India through uh, an agreement signed with Britain which ultimately ballooned the total government outlays to 38 billion rupees over the period of 41 to 46 as compared to the normal pre-war budget of around 2 billion rupees annually. Um, So you see, there was, um, you know, war... the British fu- funded the war, and um, the South Asian theater officially became part of that funding, so we were the bank account the the diamond the the crown the diamond in the crown uh, for financing their war efforts all over the world um, and that was not exactly going to help the famine because this area, which produced so much of uh, food grains and stuff like that, they were part of that deal. Um, as the war boomed in Europe, it resulted in the phenomenal rise for demand for food and is already food deficient in the province of Bengal. Rice prices started to, uh, uh, started rising and had quadrupled within 18 months, while the manufacturing workforce and even the urban poor got Cover from price heat through rationing system, the rural classes had to bear the real burden of the war. The ex ante excess of investment over savings was converted to equality through forced savings extracted via price inflation through unprotected mass of rural population. Um, So basically, we see that. This was another uh, area where um, the masses had no money to buy food, to pay for food, because the war in Europe, just like the war in Ukraine meant the increase of food prices over here, um, so it quadrupled within 18 months. And uh, some people got, uh, you know, covered through rationing system. Most of the rural poor got nothing. And so it compounded the effect of the famine in '43. And the most important part of the famine, uh, which everyone talks about, Churchill. They don't know what happened in between, but they talk about Churchill. So why did Churchill stop the grains? Why did he not help? Why did he distaste the people of Bengal so much? This part, my friend, is very important, and you need to listen because this is the last part. Uh, Churchill um, was part of the British Army uh, Armed Forces uh, during World War I, and he went through, he knew about the genocide of the Armenian Genocide, that means the Ottoman Empire and the, uh, and its uh, goons, uh, killed, committed a genocide of 1. 1.8, 1. 1.5 billion people in, um, one point five billion people in um, um, in, in Armenia um, in what was then the uh, the Ottoman Empire, so all of these um, led to the deaths of Millions of Christians, this is besides the month of millions that fled the areas, and Churchill was uh, not devastated, yeah, he was devastated, but he was angry, very, very angry that the Turks, the Muslims, uh, killed millions of people, millions of Christians, um, in uh, what was then Asia Minor, or the Ottoman Empire. Now, very important to note... Uh, that the Brits uh, in Bengal, the bulk of the population or very huge percentage of the population was Muslim, was Muslim, okay, and the Nawab of Bengal was also Muslim at that point, so guess what? He was definitely going to make them pay the price for the Armenian genocide. So when he stopped the food coming in uh, to um, to Bengal, when he made sure that the Australian food supply wanted to pass help, um, the uh, the British, the Americans wanted to help. When they wanted to help, and. Churchill said, no, there was one reason and one be- reason behind this, not because he was racist, because he was angry about the Armenian ge- genocide. When we look at a mentality of a person or his actions, we have to understand the geopolitics that are going on in his region. What is the context of the region he is in that is influencing his mind, his actions, um, and from that you can take about... Uh, you can, you can understand what he, he does elsewhere. And how he how he he runs his empire, runs his business, or how he he thinks, uh, whether it 's for another state or another country or someone else somewhere on a third party, you can understand how the person thinks if you understand the geopolitics of of the, and the influences that are on that person, so um, Churchill went through the Armenian genocide that was important one point five million people dead, and millions uh, fled and the Anatolia went uh, bust. Um, The uh, Turkish, the Ottoman army then took over and uh, the land and was then transferred by Atatürk to a new uh, modern Turkish state. Uh, Having said that, Tur- uh, Churchill took his revenge on on um, on the Muslims in Bengal, my dear friend. He stopped the grains and he stopped the food, and that is the long and the short of the story. Is what happened in Bengal in forty three, uh, approximately four million people dead and uh, a lifetime of trauma. Um, it is the past. It is important not to get angry about it because there's no use. It's over. It is important to learn from the past and the lessons and see what we can do to improve the future. On that note, I wish you a great day. I hope you have a great day ahead. Uh, stay safe. For all those in uh, in Gujarat, in uh, Rajasthan, in Delhi, and uh, northeastern, northwestern West, North uh, India. And um, till we meet again.